you probably don't remember what movies came out in the 2010s and what came out in the 20 aughts or whatever we're calling it. <laughs> do you, Paul? Do they blend together the way they for you the way they do for me? Kind of, sort of. You know, I'm uh, my memory is probably much better than yours. Yeah, but that's fair. Yeah. You've read more books. I've read more books. Um, but yeah, it's time to talk about the best movies of the 2010s. The best movies, the very best. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to go low energy on that one, so they yeah. usually go high energy. You got to mix it up a little bit. You got to mix it up. I was thinking the best of the 2010s, <laughs> the 10 best movies. <laughs> What's up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. And back inside our crazy brains. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Are we going to be listening to like a smooth jazz soundtrack during this entire... Smooth jazz ASMR. (laughs) Just kidding! Holy cow, people! (laughs) It's 2020! 2020! It's just a number, right? Yes. Actually, yeah, it is. It is. It's just it a is. thing. It is just a thing. That, but it gives us... the weird thing we get about these numbers? It's just a number. It's just another year. It's just the sun going around one more time. But we get crazy we get because crazy. there's 2020. I know. I know. It's true. I, and, and numbers, they give us excuses to make lists. They That's do. the thing. That is the thing. That's where they matter. When we get to make lists out of them. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I love lists. I love lists, Jake. Paul does love lists. I can't. I can't get enough lists. No. We should do a list of the our our top five favorite podcasts. There we go. That'd be a good episode to do. Yeah. Let our readers in. Our readers in. Our readers are. We don't have any readers here. <laughs> Let our friends in on what we're listening to. Recommend some some shows. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, it's it's January 2020, and so it's time to look back and say, what were the best movies from the 2010s? Exactly. The 2000 teens, but they weren't all teens. There were a couple of years in there that weren't teens, 10, 11, and 12. Can't leave them out. Can't leave those out. So we're going to rank our best 10 movies of the 2000 teens. Yes, and then, and then you know what? You can rate our lists and tell us which one is better. That's right. Because mine Whose is list be do you like better, Paul's or mine? I have a feeling uh, that these lists are going to look very different because Paul and I were very different ages throughout the 2000s. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. You were like 12 at one point that, in time. That's right. I was I was not but a 21-year-old lad with kids and Naive. college and work. Yeah. Paul was well into his career, thinking about well. retirement. <laughs> He staved it off. Counting the days. (laughs) Counting the days. So we were, you know, he was into stuff about legacy and grandchildren. (laughs) So I. I Bifocals. Yeah, bifocals. All of my movies contain bifocals. Garlic supplements sold by Paul Harvey. (laughs) And now you know the rest of the story. Oh, goodness. 
<laughs> but oh. for real, that we're, this is just we're kicking back. We're talking about our favorite films from the 2010s. You know what I think? Since it's a new year, yeah, you should start. Okay, I'll start off with number ten on my list. Number, you know what? The, making these lists is hard. It's Especially hard when you're trying to cover a decade's worth of films. Exactly, and when your memory Shaun doesn't go back that here. far. Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> but that was from the 2000 aughts. <laughs> So it would have made your list. It would have made my 2000 aughts list for sure. But uh, uh, you know, I couldn't put the Dark sad. Knight on here again. 2000 no, aughts. I know. And so you know, in the honorable mentions category, Paul, do you have any honorable mentions? I have a lot of honorable mentions, actually. Any notable ones you wanted to shout out to? Oh, you know what? This these lists are really <laughs> hard. These lists are so really hard. So if you shout hard. any, here's here's the thing. I'll, I'll just list. I'll just tell you that honestly. I could have put 20 movies on this top 10 list <laughs> and they all could have been interchangeable depending on what day you ask me, yeah, honestly. So, that's true. So I, You're a fickle I, man. I, <laughs> there are a few on here that I might give a shout out if it's organic. Organic, you know? sure. Well, because, here's my shout out to you, Saoirse Ronan. Is that her last name, Ronan? Saoirse yeah. Ronan, yeah. yeah. For Lady Bird. Lady Bird. To Hugh Jackman. For Logan. Logan. To Brie Larson for Room. Room. There's your shout out for me for my honorable mentions. Number 10 on my list from none other than the incomparable Jordan Peele. Get Out. Get Out. Get Out. We've talked about Get Out on this show. So. You loved Get Out. It, and you hate horror movies. I do. And and it's not one that I would rewatch a lot of times, which is was one of the criteria that I was using to make my list. Oh, interesting. Of how many... Is this rewatchable for me? Sure. Uh, I'm not going to rewatch it a ton of times. I'll rewatch it again at some point, maybe when I show a kid when they're old enough. Yeah, not your nine-year-old. Yeah, not my nine-year-old. But for me, I just thought it was such an effective parable. And that is one of my favorite things in storytelling, in movie making in general, is when you can draw out these deeper lessons or ideas or warnings or admonitions or whatever it may be through a very unique story. Right. And Get Out did just that. It was a very unique story. Have you seen Us? I've not gotten to watch Us yet. Oh, uh, you, you need that's to watch Us. You need you to know, watch I Us. I needed to consider that on my 2010s list, but I have not gotten Yeah, gotten well, you can't it. watch everything. You that's can't the watch thing. everything. That's that's the other problem with this list. As I went through and I just sort of noticed, I spent a lot of the 2000 aughts and what I realized, 10s, catching up on things I thought I was supposed to have watched right. in the past. Some of it was I because missed. I made you. Some of it was because Paul made me. And so I hadn't necessarily seen all of the classics that came out now, like right. Whiplash. I haven't seen Whiplash Whiplash either, to be honest. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, I think Get Out is a good selection. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give a shout out to my one legitimate horror movie that I have on here, I I did not put Get Out on my, even my honorable mention, although it was quite a good movie, Babadook. Babadook was Uh, a really good movie. You would hate it. You would really I probably hate it. would. Number ten on Number my 10. list is a movie out this very year. Um, it might not even be in theaters where you are because who knows? Paul's got the inside track. Who knows? But it is Terrence Malick's 
A Hidden Life. Ah, yes. It is a beautiful movie. Terrence Malick is one of those artistic directors who you watch and it's sort of dreamlike and very artsy and kind of inaccessible and some would say boring, some of his movies. Um, Because even A Hidden Life is, not everybody loves it. Although I have to say that A Hidden Life is... It is admittedly three and a half hours long, but it actually has a more concentrated story than some of his do. Right. More accessible than typical, or yeah. at least recent. Yeah. Alec. But it has a beautiful story about this guy who uh, essentially grew up in, well, he was he was of soldiering age in Austria during the Third Reich. Adolf Hitler was bringing a lot of people Everyone in Austria who was going to fight in the war needed to needed to fight for the Nazis and swear a personal allegiance to Adolf Hitler. And this man refused to do so because of spiritual reasons. And uh, and so we see the fallout for that. And it's a really beautiful, powerful, and incredibly gorgeous movie in terms of the scenery. Yeah. It's one that uh, I think is in very Malik fashion – it's going to be hard to like make yourself watch because it is so long. Three and a half hours. And it it's is a, it's tough a tough subject matter. Yeah. Uh, but just reading your review and reading Brett McCracken's review, I thought both of you did an excellent job talking about the film to the point where I felt as though I'd almost seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, maybe I'm good. Maybe I can say this on three and a half Yeah, hours. no. No, but... <laughs> But I know my dad's going to see it. My dad loves Terrence Malick. He loved Tree of Life. My Tree of Life is a great a hidden movie. life. Yeah. You know, especially being a pacifist and a conscientious objector himself. So Yeah. No, I think a hidden life, it will, it will not feel like three and a half hours. And the scenery, dude, man, is it beautiful and awesome. how to do that. Yeah, he yeah. really does. Number nine on my list. Not as deep as Terrence Malick, but also not as shallow as other films maybe on my list might seem to be. Shaun of the Dead. That's not on my list over this decade. <laughs> the previous, But that's a surprisingly deep film. It is a surprisingly admit, deep film and Did really you, clever. No, that came out before you were working for Plugged In. Correct, yeah. correct. But I have seen it. I, yeah. I enjoyed the it. The Plugged In review helped me watch that movie. Oh, yeah. So there you go. It definitely had some content. I'm sure, I'm sure, <laughs> the, I'm sure the old Bobby Deb would love to hear that. Um, but number, number nine on my list is 2017. So same year as Get Out. Uh, and that is Baby Driver. Baby Driver, Baby you loved Driver that movie. surprised me. I when I went to see it, I don't even remember why I ended up going to see it. Oh, because we decided to talk about it on the right, podcast. Right, sort of. It was in the summer. We needed a filler. There weren't yeah. any superhero movies coming out. Let's see Baby Driver, and it blew me away. It really surprised me. The choreography is gorgeous in a very unexpected way. Uh, I think. Um, you know, it's directed by a British director um, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Is it Simon Pegg? No, it's not. It's Simon not Simon Pegg. Pegg. It's not. It's Simon Edgar Wright. Pegg. I'm sorry. Edgar Wright does a lot of movies with Simon Pegg. Um, what he does is he tells a really tight story, and Baby Driver is a very tightly, well-told standalone story. And he nails the emotional beats, but keeps it moving. Has the action sequences draws you into this character in emotional ways, but also has some insanely choreographed car chase scenes. It is a fantastic action movie with heart. Baby Driver snuck its way into my top 10. Yeah. And it's rewatchable. Well, and I think that that for you, I mean, you really like your caper movies. 
I'm a fan of the caper. You know, and I, I think that, that it was a really effective movie for yeah. me. I It didn't make, but it was one that I thought about for this list. And it might have landed in my top 30, I think, which is, I wouldn't That's have expected. That's shabby. No, right. No, no. It didn't, it didn't, it just thought this is going to be another car flick. Right. When you see the trailers. Exactly. Just another car flick. It's very different. It's not just another car flick. It yeah. manages to be much more than that. It sold me on the intro. We've we've talked about yeah. actually doing a podcast sometime on the best true. Yeah, on the best that. opening sequences. Yep. That would I think might make it. All right. Number nine. nine for me. The Avengers. The Avengers. The Avengers. Twenty twelve. Joss Whedon. We don't need to say very much about this movie because, well, everybody has seen it. Um, I, but we've I, all forgotten. <laughs> I actually think this is probably the best uh, Marvel superhero movie there is. I, mm. It really, really worked for me. Um, seeing, I think part of it is because of the unusual factor of it. In the eight years since, we've seen... All of these people gather many, many times, but but to see these standalone movie superheroes all gathered in one place, it felt like a culmination of something big for me. Yeah. And the fact that it worked so well on so many levels, it had it had this resonant storyline. It was super funny. All the characters really blended well. You got to see how they interacted well. I think it was it was really well done. Yeah. And I yeah. Number nine for me. Well, and if you remember back, we didn't know if it could be done. Right, right. Because that was trying to force so many big personalities onto the screen at the same time. How could this work? Yeah. And Joss Whedon pulled off some crazy magic and made it work. Well, um, yeah, and I think I think it's one of the reasons why the MCU has been as big as it was. Obviously, Tony Stark, Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. had a huge uh, amount to do with the success of the franchise, but... But to bring those people together in Avengers and and show that it could work and show that it could make thirteen quintillion dollars, roughly. Yeah, I think that that rounding down. Yeah, it was a big deal, and I really enjoyed it. It's still it's still probably I really enjoyed Endgame, but I think in terms of the movie, Avengers holds together better. Hmm. Number eight for me, Ridley Scott's two thousand fifteen. Paul's flabbergasted. I love it. The Martian. Um, the Martian was another one that surprised me. And mm-hmm. I think and, and not only surpri- it not only surprised me making it onto this list as I was whittling it down, mm-hmm. but also surprised me when it came out. Because again, you have this near future kind of fact, but mostly fiction, scientific man gets stranded on another planet. But man... Matt Damon does a fantastic job keeping you engaged. There's multiple laugh out loud moments in the midst of this movie that ultimately feels like it's based on a true story. It really felt quite realistic. And and you just get so many different elements from the space travel to the teamwork to the camaraderie to the loneliness to the triumph of the human spirit. Like this is a feel good yeah. movie ultimately that in spite of being relatively long doesn't ever feel like it drags it's an interesting movie because it is relatively long and it is relatively slow i mean right. you have one guy just basically right all alone on this planet. action sequences all over the place yeah i think that and they... other space movies have tried similar things like interstellar 
and which I thought uh, worked at Astra, which were good in their own ways. Yeah. But I did not feel like they they've nailed the pacing nearly as well as the Martian does. In that's my opinion. that's really interesting. I think that that we are actually in a golden age in some ways of smart science fiction movies. And, and I have really liked every single year, one really good movie. This was the one for this particular year that I, I really appreciated. It would, it didn't, it, yeah, it didn't make my list. That's fine. We have different tastes, but we will see a little bit more science fiction on my list coming up. Yeah. All right, Paul, number eight. Number eight, Marriage Story. Uh, another one from this year. Another one from this year. That people, are they even able to watch it? Well, they'll, they'll not this year because we're in 2020 from last year. Exactly. Oh, I people forgot what year I was in. <laughs> people are able to watch it all the time That's because right. it's, on it's on Netflix. It is on Netflix now. Yeah, it it was. The, the Netflix had, had three really super powerhouse movies this year. Um, Irishman, Two Popes. Marriage Story. For my money, I think Marriage Story was the best. It stars a person that we just talked about in our last podcast, and Adam Driver playing a much different role than Kylo Ren right. um, and Scarlett Johansson. Um, she, they, they essentially play. This is not really a marriage story. It's more of a divorce story, and they break spoiler apart. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Paul's all like, I hate spoilers. <laughs> You know, yeah, you pretty much figure it out within the first five minutes of the movie. But it is devastating. Yeah. It rings you out. And yet it's also super funny, really watchable. The performances are great. Laura Dern plays a killer divorce lawyer, almost literally. It is, I I think it's one of the best put together movies that I've seen this year, for sure. Yeah. Uh I haven't watched it yet, though it's killing it for my fantasy movie awards season. I know! Team. Curse you! So, uh, <laughs> way to go me for, for seeing that, even though mm. I haven't watched it yet. Um, as I was putting together my list, you know, marriage, I hadn't watched, obviously, Marriage Story yet, but movies like that. I mentioned Room. I mentioned Lady Bird. Yeah. Um, some of these these more dramatic uh, maybe not dark isn't yeah. the right term, but these sad melan melancholy is the word I'm looking for. Films mm -hmm. I realized I didn't want to make time for them, especially this year over the last couple of years in particular, because my work has gotten so much darker. My yeah, recency no, bias, I got that. My recency yeah. bias of now my work day to day being so dark, I've struggled to get myself to a place for these more dramatic films in a way I didn't before. It was easier for me in years past. And so my recency bias made it really hard for me to ultimately bump films like that up onto my top no, 10. No, I, I totally get that. You know, I watch movies for a living. Right. I When I come home, I watch rick steve's travel shows yeah. because i am done with dramatic movies like marriage story but it's brilliant it's yeah. really good well really harsh content caveats all over the place but it's really good <laughs> number seven for me from 2017 which trend alert that's the third <laughs> 2017 movie that showed up on my list i didn't I did not make this list based on the year. I went through, added up the films, and then was thinking, oh, wow, this 2017 ended up being a really killer year. It was a strong year. Uh, so number seven for me from 2017, 
Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Oh my word! We've taught. We have a whole episode about Thor Ragnarok. If you want to hear my thoughts about it, go back and listen to it. What a romp, though! I mean, such they take. It's sci-fi. It's fantasy. It's superheroes, and it's a buddy road comedy with multiple laugh out loud moments. Thor Ragnarok again kind of came out of nowhere. The Thor movies had been kind of the weaker films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all of a sudden, Thor Ragnarok to me is my second favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Oh, that's interesting. So that yeah. means we probably have another one coming up. Well, if it came out in the 2010s. Bum balum, bum balum. Spoiler alert. Paul, number seven for you. Number seven for me. This is this actually is sort of a nostalgic choice for me. Because I see this movie as the beginning of our odd talking career together. Mm. Inside Out. Oh. <laughs> yes. true. Because we had a vodcast actually on yeah. this and we had a great time talking about it. So yeah, Inside Out, it, it, it's one of, I, I don't think that a lot of Pixar fans find this to be like the best. And I, I would say... You know, for from my personal favorite Pixar movie would probably be Up, um, and I know that some of the Toy Story movies are great, but I think so that spoiler alert for your list, since Up came out. Oh no, no, that was oh nine. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Carry yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. I was suddenly sorry worried about that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, but Inside Out, it, as we had talked about so many years ago in 2015, um, it gives such a rich understanding of of the human brain and the human child's brain. And it gives you a new vocabulary for how to talk about issues. And it's a beautiful, resonant, super funny story all at the same time. Amy Poehler does a fantastic job as, as Joy, I think. And, and you just have some really delightful moments in that movie. And, and Pixar, when you think about this decade that we're talking about, Pixar is still making tremendous movies throughout this entire decade. Oh, Toy yeah. Story 4 almost landed on my list, as a matter of fact. And so, 3 came out in that yeah, I I really liked three, but it probably wouldn't have made my list for sure. No, it, four was clearly more in yeah, forky, truly in your demographic. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a movie for people becoming empty nesters. Exactly, it's sort of the existential crisis of Pixar movie. Uh, but you know what, Paul? This is really sweet because number six on my list was Inside Out. Oh, right on, man! So you know, your seven led to my six. <laughs> And you know what? You're right. Like I, as I was putting this together, I had not thought about that connection. But the very first test video podcast that we call the vodcast that we put together was about yeah Inside Out. And yeah, it's still getting views out there on the YouTube. If you want to go see yeah. us with a crappy it's... camera sitting inside a Foley <laughs> studio, it's really. It's really terrible, I'm sure. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun. We talked for like 20 minutes, and our ideal length was supposedly five. Actually, I think that one's only seven or eight minutes. No. Yeah. How are we able to talk that quickly? Why can we not talk that quickly now? (laughs) Because now we're free of the bonds, (laughs) the corporate shackles. Uh, No, I, I echo what you said about Inside Out. It manages again like, except it just does so blatantly. Yeah to tug at the emotional heartstrings by literally just putting your emotions right there. On <laughs> literally putting your emotions on there. And yeah. I still and think about, about 
some of the things that I, I have in my own personality in terms of inside out stuff. Is that in your upcoming book? No. Oh, well, there you go. It almost made it, actually. It almost did. But yeah, Inside Out from 2015 was number six on my list. So, Paul, number six for you. Number six for me. This is your favorite year for movies, 2017. Oh, yeah. Dunkirk. <sighs> One of the movies from 2017, I didn't see. <laughs> oh, no! I still haven't seen it. Everybody... I didn't. I, it was one of those where I never got a chance to see it in theaters. Yeah. But everybody raved about you have to see it in theaters, and so I heard that so many times. By the time it came out on video, I thought to You're myself, done. "You can't see." Well, it. it's probably not going to be the same. So yeah. I didn't prioritize it since then. Yeah. So, so this is sort of an interesting thing for me. Dunkirk uh, came out in 2017. Uh, I thought it was the best movie of that year uh, by. A pretty good margin, although there was some really was good, good stuff. Films. Yeah, there was some really good stuff that came out there. But it, it's really tight, 90 minutes long, and it deals with sort of this intercut um, timeline. You know, you have one story that's going on for a week, another storyline that's going on for a day, another storyline that's going on for an hour. It's mm. Christopher Nolan doing his Christopher Nolan stuff, and it is just put together brilliantly. I'll give a shout out. To one of my to one of my also rans, nineteen seventeen oddly enough comes out this year. It's it'll be it out. Came out last year. It, it came out last year technically, but I don't think it's out in theaters until January. Oh. So so it might be in theaters oh, now. This year, um, it is sort of the polar opposite of Dunkirk in a way. Dunkirk is PG thirteen. It's remarkably unbloody. Nineteen seventeen is very bloody. Mm. And it's really creative in that it takes one camera. It essentially takes the viewpoint of one camera through the entire two-hour-plus movie. Hmm. So uh, it's really creatively done. Um, I, to me, even though there are two different wars even, they, it, they, really, they really show off a good sense of, of war movie making. Well, there you go. Number five on my list, The Midway Point, The Golden Rings. Captain America Winter Soldier. Ooh. Paul was right. There was another Marvel movie coming. <laughs> and again, this is one that has popped up every time we've had a list that could be related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think, for my money, Captain America Winter Soldier is the most watchable and rewatchable standalone Marvel Cinematic Universe film that there is because it's this espionage film. There's a bit of that caper edge because it's espionage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a superhero film, but it feels grounded, gritty, in, gritty in a way, and rooted in uh, fears that you know feel prescient to the time, but also timeless as you deal with. And there's a super huge spoiler reveal in the film that got us all going, "What? What? I cannot believe that it just happened. That totally altered the course of the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that from that point forward." in powerful ways and even interplayed with a TV show that was going on at the same time um, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So for my money, Captain America Winter Soldier is my favorite and most rewatchable because you, you you could just drop somebody right in right yeah. there into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think it still works. Yeah, no, I, I, this is a this is actually a movie that I thought long and hard. You know, if I only had one Marvel movie, what was it going to be? And I was thinking about Endgame. I was thinking Avengers. This was the movie that might be, I think, potentially the best constructed Marvel movie there is. Um, 
Avengers made my list because I just I just dug it so much. It sure. was a very emotional choice. But in terms of the construction of it, yeah, this is a really good Winter Soldier is a really strong standalone movie, no matter what Martin Scorsese says. Sorry, Martine. All right, Paul, number five. Number five. A movie that did not make your list, but I absolutely loved Room. 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 It was excellent. Brie Larson, a really, really young, cute Jacob Tremblay. Um, I thought that this was an incredibly well-put-together movie. I think a lot of people shied away from it because it talks about this woman who's been imprisoned in this storage shed for seven years, had a child. Sex slave. Exactly. A a sex slave had a child by by her captor. And... So because of the the content of it, it I think it pushed a lot of people away. I was surprised, even in the midst of all that tragedy, um, how beautiful and how poignant and even how inspirational the movie was. It yeah. was it, it was one of the most powerful movies that I have seen in my movie reviewing career. And I know that you're really close to these issues now, so right. in some ways, so it's. It's a uh, it's really tough, and yet it's a a very worthwhile watch. Yeah, and and without being either overly grim and pessimistic or overly shiny and optimistic, right. I think that the, the balance it strikes ends up being one of its strengths. Mm-hmm. In the fact that it it is obviously dark, it's obviously grim, and yet it finds this thread of hope and optimism. But even as you pull that out, it shows the gritty and hard work of healing right from a situation that's the thing that like I, that yeah it uh, surprised me how much of time it spent actually outside of room right and the healing process that goes on after i also think it's one of the most spiritual movies that i I've, I've seen in the last decade outside of terrence malick <laughs> outside of terrence malick um all right number four on my list uh is one that you know what this one could be Potentially, you know, to your point about going higher on the list, mm-hmm. this is one that on a given day could could go higher. Uh, but it's Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. I haven't been able to argue with a single one of your choices yet. It was again. Uh, this was not a 2017 film. This was a 2015 film, but also surprised me. I hated the trailer that I saw for Mad Max Fury Road. Whatever one I saw, ultimately after I saw the film, I watched. I went back to watch some trailers because I I had seen one before it came out and I hated it. I thought this looks, I, this looks like it's not my thing. And then I happened to watch it because we were going to talk about it for Oscar season and wow, like the story works and it's tight and the action moves and it's actually deep and there's this meaning and poignancy and the acting performances and yet also the, the set pieces and Boy, this whole thing works. It it's was well constructed, constructed yep. to your point. And so I went back and watched trailers and realized that there were two very different types of trailers for this film. There was one that leaned into the weird, creepy aspect of the post-apocalyptic scenario sure. Sure. that I didn't like. And then there were others that gave you a little bit more of that hint at the depth and uh, you know, sort of breadth of the film. Yeah. Um, and Mad Max Free Road is one I've rewatched since. And it came on, and I was mesmerized 
and it came on while I was trying to do another project and I was locked in again. And so multiple times it sort of snuck its way in and every time I I am zone I am honed in on what's going on. Yeah. The, the performances are mesmerizing. The action is fantastically done. Yeah. It's Max Fury Road. It's a powerful, gripping, really fun movie. All of the above. And the thing that amazes me, I think, is that Mad Max himself is kind of an afterthought in the whole thing. Right. You know, he's the reason for the movie, I guess, but it's really um, Furiosa's story, and I yes. love that. It's a it's a really great um, flip that yep. I wasn't expecting when I watched the movie. I was no. really impressed by it. And that was why Imperator Furiosa landed on my list of top action heroines of all time for yeah. me. Yeah, when we did that episode, if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, where we talk a little bit more in depth on her. So there you go, number four for me, Mad Max for your road. Number four for me. This is one we actually talked a couple of podcasts ago, just very briefly. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, this is a movie that only has a fifty-one percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but for me, it totally worked. It's about this. This quiet guy who works at Life magazine, he loses this photo or thinks that he loses this photo. Um, and so he goes out, so he doesn't lose his job. He goes out on this adventure to find what's going to be the cover shot for this last issue of Life magazine. It is incredibly moving, incredibly gripping. I think it's funny, but it's funny in a subtle sort of way. It, it stars and is directed by Ben Stiller. So you right. think of it would be a little bit more wacky, and it definitely yeah. is weird at the very beginning. But it, it, it turns into this very lightly funny fable that comes to a conclusion, one of the best conclusions I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. I'm, I actually, as... I completely forgot that came out in the 2010s <laughs> <laughs> or else that very likely would have made my list somewhere mm. in there. I could easily have booted something off at nine or 10 and found yeah. secret life of Walter Mitty in there. 2013, 2013. Yeah, that's right. You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I think the reason it came up is I was talking about double features, reviewing double oh, features. Yeah. yeah. And I had watched the Wolf of Wall Street that same night. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I think maybe I sort of like wash out that the five hundred timeline. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And so maybe that's why I didn't register because <laughs> I've tried to scrub some of that memory and maybe some of that bled over into scrubbing because I really did enjoy the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. All right, number three for me from two thousand and fourteen. So not long mm. after Secret Life of Walter Mitty came out. The Lego movie. <laughs> oh, the Lego my movie. My word. I have I have waxed eloquent about the Lego movie in the past. Uh, I don't know that Paul shares my deep affinity for the Lego movie. He should. <laughs> I know and I know Paul likes it. I won't I won't disparage him here. I enjoy I'm surprised it. Paul doesn't love this movie as much as I do because one Paul loves Legos more than I do. Well, that is true. And two, Paul is also a sucker for father-son stories. So, like, true. how does the Lego movie? How is that? Hopefully, it's number one on your list, and I'm just you know, <laughs> blowing out hot air over here because this is in your wheelhouse. No, it's it. I really enjoyed it, but for me, it was it was kind of. I enjoyed it. I found it funny. I laughed a lot, and I found it kind of forgettable. Mm. I don't know what it is about it, and I know I think that you're a little bit biased because it has your main man Chris Pratt. 
doing voices. <laughs> you know? Uh, no, uh, I. it has a lot of people whose voices I really appreciate. But actually, it was really hard. And I went back and forth on this. The Lego Batman movie could just as easily be up in I the I was same wondering. Spot. See, when you said the Lego movie, yeah. I was wondering, is the Lego Batman I movie almost, still coming up? I could almost swap them in and out of this spot. And so I decided I'll just leave one Lego movie in and I'll go with the original because it surprised me. Again, that's sort of a theme here of these films I was not expecting. I yeah. thought it was just only going to be a corporate cash grab. I didn't think it would be also an amazing film because it – is a well-constructed story. It's goofy. It's irreverent. It sends up some of your favorite types of films from the past. It has hilarious non sequiturs throughout. It's super goofy. And then the reveal at the end when uh, obviously the reveal is pretty great is fantastic in a way they just really hit you right in the heartstrings. I think about the Lego movie a lot, especially as my kids are getting into Legos now. Oh yeah. Becoming master builders and, it's yeah the Lego movie for me. Obviously, there's that bias. I wonder if that's part of it because I I wonder when you're a dad, like when you're I am a dad, In but all my kids are grown. Yeah, exactly. So when you have this and you think that you can share it with your kids, and they're sort of in that stage, it that. The kids are in the movie too. Yeah, I think it adds a little bit more pop. Certainly, you think? the recency bias has to help. <laughs> of I am in the middle of this. <laughs> And it's making me cry. <laughs> and I was just laughing a second ago. And now it's making me cry. See? <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> Number three for you, Paul. Number three, I won't cry for this one. But I will say it is, it is a movie we've talked a lot about. And I think you kind of hate it. A Quiet Place. Oh, I don't hate it. Oh, it's so I've good. Dissed on it. I just didn't like the end. Oh, I didn't like a particular part of the end. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's yeah. listening to this because this list. is not a spoiler cast, right? And anybody, and I hope this is a list that people can think, oh, that sounds interesting to me. If yeah, they're so so, I won't spoil. I didn't like a particular choice a particular character made at the end. I did not feel like that was the only choice available to that character. But overall, I really enjoyed the movie. That particular choice really, though, gets into... I mean, we were talking about fathers and families and yes. all that sort of stuff. That choice is what makes the movie for me. I think he could have. I think you could have done that without doing it that way. But that's a personal personal <laughs> nitpick. The, it is a fantastic movie. Yeah, the, yeah. The, a quiet place is one of the what is one of the really su- huge surprises for me. I think um, John Krasinski uh, directs it and stars in it along with his real life wife Emily Blunt, um, and it features this family that's dealing with the, these aliens who cannot see uh, but who can hear super super well. And if they hear anything move, they will eat it. They will literally eat it. Um, so you have this story of this family growing up uh, within this terrible environment where these creatures are going to eat you if they hear you make a noise at all. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the reasons that I loved it is, number one, it's super gripping. It, it, it's, it is a very intense, very suspenseful quasi horror movie really well done in that way but the family component of it to to watch these parents raise their kids and to prepare to bring a new one into the world under such conditions the underlying sense of hope that that implies 
really beautiful to me. Yeah, it worked. It worked great. The chemistry between John and Emily and their kids and how that all plays out. Really well done. Yeah. No, no. I, I did enjoy that film. We did. You're right. We did argue. <laughs> and you can go back because there is an episode. We are. And you can see. This is going I, back I made, into our past. I made an amazing image for that episode <laughs> that I love. That's from the scene where she's in the bathtub. And where she's hiding in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not explicit. But, and, <laughs> but then I put, I put like the Kung Fu Hustle guy and Nacho Libre and some other characters like high, uh, prancing on the tub's edge. I remember it. it was I remember it. It, it was, was very good. Yeah, the movie was better. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, okay, so number two on my list easily could have been number one, except... I wouldn't rewatch it as much for fun as my number one. Mm -hmm. So I decided I would bump the more rewatchable one. I get that. So, uh, but number two for me is from 2018 and it is a documentary film called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Yes, this almost made my list as well. Oh my word. I mean, come on. We needed that. We needed more Fred Rogers in our life. We talked about this when we talked about A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I enjoyed that film, but the documentary for me is the one I'm going to go back to and watch again, yep. most likely, uh, and be reminded of somebody who was a quiet and actually powerful prophet yeah. in our culture, in our world, yeah. and in surprising ways, in the ways he did it for children. So many spiritual parallels, so many ways you just look at a life that was lived imperfectly but trying to be in the footsteps of jesus in a way of just loving on people in the most practical and human ways yeah and speaking truth to power and speaking truth to those who feel powerless and and showing them oh my word i could go on oh i know a long time i know and i know you can too i i really can too it it didn't make my i thought long 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 about it there's just so many really good movies and this definitely didn't make my honorable mention list i thought we you know we geek out about heroes so often but when you look at what real heroism is, real quiet heroism, I don't think that there's a better example in culture in some ways that we're aware of than Mr. Rogers. I'm sure there's plenty of unsung heroes that we could Definitely. point to if we knew about them. But He's just the most visible one. He's just the most visible one. And you just see that quiet compassion that he has. It shows that you can be strong and be kind all at the same time. And that is almost a unique message in today's society yeah it's i'm hard-pressed to think of any other (laughs) i think it is very (laughs) you know it it, that actually is a nice segue into my number two movie also 2018 roma Mm. another netflix movie um it is one of the most beautifully put together uh, movies that I've seen. The cinematography is incredible. The performances are really outstanding. But the thing that I loved about it is the main character in Roma is this very quiet maid slash nanny type of a person um, who lives this very quiet life tending to an upper middle class Mexican family. 
and it sort of voyages into her pregnancy, her unexpected pregnancy, um, and how the family is going through its own trauma and how those sort of coincide and and this strange blend of of servitude and family that the that the movie expresses. But the beauty of it, I think, is the main character's sense of service. She is by far, I think, the strongest character. And yet she hardly ever speaks. She's just this very quiet, very loving source. And it is an incredible portrayal of, as you say, I think Christ-centric um, love and Christ-centric strength, that, that quiet strength that says, says, I don't have to beat up somebody. I don't have to thump my fist on a table to be strong. I can be strong and giving. And uh, uh, it's such a great message. Yeah. Very good. All right. Number one on my list. Are you going to cry? I'm not going to cry. All right. This. Your yeah. crying days are done. On the Lego movie of all things. Yeah. For 2018, <laughs> uh, kept getting bumped up my list. I've rewatched it a few times. It's fantastic. It was one that I remember being actively excited about from just seeing the trailer, which is rare. I kind of am more cynical about trailers mm-hmm. these days, but I was excited about it from the trailer. I had high hopes going in. I really was blown away by the film itself, and the soundtrack is killer, and it's very funny, and it's got some fantastic action sequences in it, and the animation is insane. <laughs> It was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh my goodness. Yes. This topped my list in 2018. And as I put this list together, I just thought, this movie. Overall, it's clean without feeling as though it was trying to be too tame or safe. It still deals with some gritty and darker elements, you know, for your older kids to sort of walk into some of the harder things in life with. Uh, The animation is is absolutely bonkers the way it blends different animation styles the humor works the action works this again the soundtrack i'm just i I could (laughs) you can go back and listen to our best of the year from 2018 spider-man into the spider-verse really works wow and does a is a just it's a great comic book movie it's a great movie by itself it's a great superhero movie it's a great animated movie it's my favorite spider-man film period wow and one of my favorite i haven't sat down and done my list but one of my favorite superhero movies of all time at this point spider-man into the spider-verse we're still listening to the soundtrack in my home that is really interesting it is a good movie it was i think it surprised a lot of people when it came out because i mean we've been so used to what we've seen from you know the mcu from dc you know the logan thing came along we i think we've sort of felt like we knew what to expect and spider-man into the spider-verse came in with this really beautifully animated um 2d type of sense to itself and a very very clever plot that came out of nowhere well i'm sure it came out of the comics but sure. but it was it was just very creatively put together yeah, and heartwarming it was you know, kind of heartwarming yeah yeah i think um I would not have put it 
on my list, but I can understand why it would land on somebody's list. And I think that it would be sort of interesting to see how it would stack up. Like if we did a superhero list, what that would look like. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It was one that uh, after I kind of did my list, I was looking at other lists out there and it was one that I sort of thought maybe this was just me, but it was landing on other people's lists as well, which... You know, yeah, no, that I, makes me feel less special, but <laughs> but also more validated. My number one is not on anyone's list, I would <laughs> bet you. But again, like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, it moved me incredible, incredibly. It is The Impossible mm, from wow. 2012. Yeah, Naomi really. Watts stars Ewan, Mc, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, yeah. And a Tom young, Holland. A young Tom Sorry Holland. Sorry to steal your thunder there. <laughs> no, it's it's really true. Yeah. Uh, it was, so I got to give you a little bit of backstory. Um, this is a movie that I don't think a lot of people have seen. Have you seen it? I have not. I'm familiar with it, but I have not watched it myself. So it it takes place in, it's, a, it's, it's essentially the story of a family that goes to Indonesia right during the 2004 tsunami. Um, the tsunami sort of, they're just on vacation. The tsunami sweeps them literally away from each other. Um, and the, the story that sort of unfolds is incredible based on a true story. Um, it is heartbreaking. It is inspiring. It feels tragic. It feels important. Um, and this was relatively early on in my movie viewing career, right? I had just become a a voting member for a local critic society. I had a screener for it. And so I was trying to plow through all these screeners so that I could vote on these things. Um, I popped in The Impossible. Didn't really know or care that much about it. I had seen so many movies by that point, I didn't care. Just cranking them out. Wendy was upstairs. My wife was upstairs. I was watching and... I was taking notes, and as I was watching, the tears were just streaming down my face. I was blubbering so mad. And, and every every 20 minutes, I thought to myself, I am so glad no one is in this room with me because <laughs> it, it just wrecked me. It wrecked me in a great way. It was so powerful. And I don't think that there's been a movie. Um, we've talked about some really great movies, and there's some movies that I wish we could have talked about that didn't make our list. I don't know if there's a movie that has made me so emotionally drained as that movie. It was just wicked harsh to watch, but beautiful all at the same time. It was really worth watching. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. I have not. Backlist Hall of Shame, buddy. I can hear, I I can recall you having mentioned crying at that film in a previous episode. Oh, my goodness. The only other one I can recall is up my head. I'm embarrassed just thinking about it. You cried at was over the top. So which one, which one made you cry more, over the top or the impossible? I was the impossible. I was crying and I was thinking just how silly it was. It was just, it was insane. You weren't thinking that when you were crying it over the top. You know, over the top is a whole different story. It's a whole, yeah, it Uh, oh, there's man. a fantastic episode content caveat there's language in it for sure and some uh crude illusions but there's that there's a podcast called uh how did this get made that does a whole episode on over the top 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, and the thing about Over the Top, and I know we've talked about this, I only saw the last 15 minutes of it. And maybe that was what... <laughs> oh, no, um, the last 15 minutes are ridiculous as well. Oh, my goodness. It's all ridiculous. It's just it's crazy. I'm so well, there you have it. Our favorite films, the best films of the That's 2010s. right, definitively the there best. There was only one overlap on our list right there. In yeah, the Inside Out, crazy. Inside Out, which... You Lady know, Bird also made my fame. your honorable mentions. My honorable mentions, yeah. Silence. We have talked a lot about Silence. That yeah. made my honorable Not mentions. Not rewatchable Ooh. at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Man. what was your? What were your favorite films of the 2010s? Argue with ours. Let us know yours. We'll beat you up for it <laughs> on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. Here we are in the most least important thing, the first one of the new year. Merry New Year's to you. Happy holidays. We're somewhere in the 12 days of Christmas, most likely. <laughs> Unless you're one of those who's catching up from the future. If so, welcome to the past. Welcome to the past. For the most least important thing. Paul, would you like me to go first this time? Like you want me to go first with my list? Or would no, you, no, you no. want to go first? I think yeah. I want to go first right, because mine's kind of lame. It okay. really is yeah. least important. But Good. it sort of segues with our list in some ways because uh, it, it features, um, well, it features some players that made our list. Okay. We'll just say. I just had an opportunity to watch the trailer for the new Pixar movie, Onward. Oh. Have you seen? I have seen the trailer for Oh. Uh, I'm it, curious to see what you. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I think it. It. It made me. Uh, it made me laugh. It made me cry. Not literally, yeah. but it was really a sensitive. It, it. It felt like true Pixar, like true, um, prime, you know, golden age Pixar to me. Mm. Um, it features Tom Holland, who was in The Impossible. It features Chris Pratt, who was in your movies. <laughs> Lots of them, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it's Pixar. I, I think that it's going to be. I'm really. <coughs> pardon me. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, actually. So it, it releases March 6th. Um, it may be the first movie of 2020 that I will be looking forward to seeing. <laughs> That's right. It is usually around March when those start to come out <laughs> finally. Um, no, I did see the trailer for this uh, in front of. Frozen, I want to say. Uh, yes, because I took my kids Frozen. to see Frozen. Not my screener. I yeah. took my kids to see Frozen. And I had seen the teaser before, and I did think it was interesting because the teaser did not feel quintessentially Pixar. Did you see the teaser? I did not, It no. felt a little bit more DreamWorks, even. Interesting. Not, not necessarily that it was bad, but it, it just didn't, it didn't immediately hit yeah. you with what is going to make this deeper, more emotional, more pixar-ish right right the way we're used to it looked a little bit more surface level uh which again we're kind of used to with pixar because that was what i thought about the cars trailer well way back in the day and that's the thing every time this is the first pixar movie that i have looked at and i thought i really want to see that yeah. because every other pixar trailer that i've seen i've thought oh well, that looks kind of good and yeah. then you walk into it and it just blows you away yeah so this one with where they finally released the full trailer, now you're you're introducing I'm the all element in. of the dad. Yeah, a little weird, you know, from that Christian perspective of, you know, bringing people back from the dead. But 
Let's roll with we'll it. We'll let Paul deal with that I'll, in the plugged in I'll review. I'll deal with that in the plugged in review. We'll talk <laughs> about it. Otherwise, obviously the, the heartwarming elephant el, the heartwarming <laughs> elephant. <laughs> Big bong. The <laughs> bong, bing bong. The heartwarming element of the father son yeah. dynamic and the brother brother dynamic is going to does look like they're gonna have another one. Though and I also saw the trailer for Soul. Have you seen the trailer for Soul? No, I have not. Oh my, you need to watch the trailer for Soul. I'm curious to see if that will supplant Onward. Uh, Interesting. So who makes that? Pixar. Pixar is coming out with two movies next year? Yeah, I, well, I don't know the release date for Soul. I can pull that up okay. real quick. But Soul looks to be somewhat of a spiritual successor, not a direct successor, but a spiritual successor to Inside Out. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, as you well, can tell with see. the title, Soul. Yes. Um, it, but that was, it looked very deep. That one is set for 2020. Uh, being directed, it's expected June of 2020. June of 2020, so yeah. March and June. And it's actually directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers. And I believe if I come back here to Inside Out, that, that is the directors of Inside Out. Well, I knew they were making a sequel for yep. Inside Out. Well, so. Pete Doctor is the was one of the co-directors of Inside Out, and he's also on Soul. So Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, two movies within... Three months of each other. Yeah, we'll probably just stay at the theaters and we'll just camp out. Yeah. Why why go home in between? There you have it for this episode. Don't you have a least most least important thing? Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, I tricked myself by saying I would go first, but then not going first. Hey, I pranked myself. Uh, this one's not exactly brand new, but I think it was a interesting follow up on something that did get really big. That I wanted to bring up. All right. Because I think it's a little bit deeper. Mm. Uh, there's a podcast called the Armchair Expert Podcast, hosted by Dak Shepard. Gotcha. Are you familiar with this podcast? I, I am not familiar with the podcast, no. Okay. Dak Shepard, actor, sure. married to Kristen Bell. Exactly. Pretty funny podcast. guy. He's a funny guy. That he's been doing for a little bit now. It's not brand new. Um, he's got many, many episodes where he sits down with famous people, often actors and actresses. Have you been on? I have not. Mm. I'm not famous yet. Sad. Uh, but in like early November, he had an episode with Emilia Clark, the mm. actress, mm-hmm. most famous and primarily famous for her role in Game of Thrones. Sure. Uh, as a part of that episode, they got to talking about all the nudity mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones. Dax loves all the nudity in Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert. Male, female. He was enamored with it, apparently. But as Amelia Clark talked about it, she talked about her experience. This was the first show, really, outside of doing like a made-for-TV movie in the UK. Sure. This was the first big movie-like experience that she was working on and didn't know what to expect and was really bothered, she describes in this podcast, really upset by all the nudity and the fact that first episode she's got to do this rape scene right right and that she didn't know you know she was super young at the time she was in her early 20s at the time didn't know how to do all this uh she talked about crying about it and jason momoa who was the actor playing the character that was essentially raping her character also crying over it and having to protect her and like stand up for her rights like get her covered up when you know right because she's cold in between shots and How then, as her career progressed, she would continue to be pressured by the studio to do more nudity and how she finally learned that she could say no, you know, because she talked about being early on the show. 
this this pressure they had actually f- let go of the actress before her she wasn't the original cast for that role and so just feeling this pressure of i know this could go away at any time and i need to follow these rules and being pressured by the studio saying you don't want to disappoint your fans you know it was a pretty fascinating right uh, just look at something that many people, regardless of their faith or you know morality, found the nudity and the sexual content and the rape content in Game of Thrones very problematic. Here she was explaining how it was even hard to make right. and problematic on the inside. So a lot of attention got put to those words. A lot of people wrote about it, wrote about this pressure that she described. Well, I listened to a follow another episode that armchair expert did after this episode with Amelia Clark with Tony Hale, the actor. But at the end of the episode, they do a fact check of previous episodes and Dax goes on a rant about how upset he was with people for getting upset about HB about the whole HBO pressuring for nudity and be like, that's not what it was about at all. And I was correcting people on Twitter and I can't believe people are trying to make it about this. And it was just fascinating for me to hear this defense of the industry from somebody that I I think is well-meaning when you listen to the armchair expert. He doesn't – he sounds like a thoughtful guy, but he, you know, was bought into this idea in Hollywood that this is necessary and even good and any suggestion – that this is problematic was problematic to him. And I just thought that was pretty fascinating, especially in this era of me too, where it was sort of the Harvey Weinstein incidents that came to light and these actresses coming forward and talking about the pressure that was put onto them sexually in Hollywood that still this type of conversation is controversial. And the idea that people are pressured into this as a part of their work is a controversial idea and i i it was surprising to me to be honest Mm. and um i just thought that was really fascinating because here they made this big deal out of something that was very similar to something we had made a big deal about and yet to see the the still the mindsets and the worldviews that sort of keep that entrenched in hollywood I thought was really fascinating in a sad way mm-hmm. because it just, again, normalizes that, no, this is just a part of the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that when you look at how the entertainment industry treats um, treats nudity, treats the exposure of skin, treats sexual sensuality. Um, the objectification of humans. The objectification of humans. It's, it is – we're really inconsistent. And I think that, that when you look at the logic, some of the logic that, that you have to defend some of this stuff, it kind of falls apart, I think. Um, you're talking about people who make a living by pretending to be someone else. And yes, you put out some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your experiences out on screen as well. You have to be personal. But the idea of stepping into literally someone else's skin and then having to show your own skin for whatever reason that feels inconsistent to me i i i don't get it to be honest with you i think that there are very very few movies that i have ever seen where i thought that was absolutely warranted when you see when you see a scene like that this is something that could not have been done any other way 
I just don't think that that's true. I think that that storytelling storytellers are very creative. They can figure out a way to get across some really interesting, important, sometimes tragic points that 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 don't involve exposing your workers like that, you know, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and pressuring them into it and especially when you have that authority of, you know, I'm controlling your employment or your lack thereof. Right. So you're going to do this. To me, that... It feels really inconsistent. To, to me, that is really problematic. Yeah. And anybody's job security revolves around their willingness to be objectified mm-hmm. for any reason. Whether that's on the casting couch or on screen, I think that's a problem. And so I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was a really... Uh, telling yes little tale that i ran across so there you go well yeah but that's the end of this little tale (laughs) at least for this little show as always you can catch up with us on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson and i'm at ac paul until next time i'll catch you on the flip side bye (laughs) 